Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. This episode, which was recorded in late March 2020, is with Alison Grade, author of new book, The Freelance Bible. We unpack the working from home feels, that's for whether you're a freelancer or if it's new to you as someone who's normally office-based, and how working from home is like the first day in a new job. Talking about how to value yourself, not just what you charge, but the value you bring to a customer too, we look at how to maximise your downtime if you're in an industry that's gone into hibernation because of the pandemic, and finding balance right now. Alison is running webinars and you can find out more via Eventbrite or at her website alisongrade.com forward slash freelancing hyphen during hyphen lockdown. Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. Today I am chatting to Alison Grade, who is the author of new book, The Freelance Bible. Hi Alison, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. We're chatting via Zoom, aren't we? We're kind of not isolated, but socially distanced. <laughs> yes, yes, socially distanced across the country and yes. computer screens. Yes, well, thank you for taking the time to chat to me. I love your new book and we're going to talk all about it and lots of advice for people that are working from home and freelancers. Would you like to start by telling people what your freelance is? Yeah, so I think I'll probably describe my freelance as somebody who turns creative ideas into a business reality. And I do that in a variety of different ways. I've done it through my book, The Freelance Bible, but I also do it through workshops and mentoring. I work a lot in the creative and screen sector, working with SMEs, with freelancers and with the public sector just doing strategic advice, support, and all of that. How did you get into that? That's an, that sounds really varied, which is nice, isn't it? It's the typical freelance thing where I, I don't have a very long attention span, so I like <laughs> to do lots of different things. I got into I started in TV production. That's where I cut my teeth. Made a different loads of different programs, primarily like factual entertainment and that kind of stuff. Pretty much everything that isn't new sport and drama. So, and then I decided I wanted to get into the bigger picture of stuff and I went to INSEAD and I did an MBA. And really it was there where I sort of refocused and thought, well, actually, this is what, this is what I do in production is turn an idea that's on a piece of paper into a finished TV show. But actually I want to do that in a bigger way. So that's what I've really followed. And I've done, I've done some other stuff. I ran a company in London for years, for a few years after I left INSEAD, which was called Girls Angels, and we specialised in teaching women how to ride motorbikes. That's brilliant! Oh my god! Really <laughs> so you'd ride a motorbike, do you? Is that your thing? You it, it, it was yeah. before children came along, yes. Ah, do you still have a bike? No, I had no. to sell it by, by a big car that could push <sighs> Are you busy at the moment? How is your freelance life in the what we call the current, I'm putting up my fingers to do the little inverted commas now for people that are obviously only listening, but how are things work-wise in the current climate? Obviously, there are much higher priorities for for people than buying my book at the moment. So really, (laughs) I'm I'm just kind of taking a a sense of where where things are at. I've I've got a whole, you know, we're coming up to financial year end and for a lot of my Mm -hmm. clients, that's a big time to wrap up a load of projects. So I've just come out of a really busy period. I'm just literally tidying up all the paperwork and wrapping up a load of projects that we've been doing around training and screen sector. And conversations are starting with different clients and it's difficult to know at the moment. The screen sector is completely completely in hibernation it's in hibernation 
and there's there's just no point you know it's not it's not going to happen until we come out the other side of this there's other businesses which are just crazy busy and can't cope with demand and then there's other people trying to be business as usual and mm. i think just looking at where my clients sit the clients that i've been talking to for a while sit in the trying to be business as usual category because there are a lot in education and that kind of thing so i'm just feeling my way through it really and mm. i've come off a really busy period we're launching in towards easter holidays for me, I don't mind a bit of quiet time, but I will keep taking the temperature just to see where I can see some opportunities and also try and support freelancers through um, social media and anything I can do through that. So it's it's a very different time. So as we Zoom, it's funny, we're sort of just saying, you were saying there that it's like we, we were just chatting a bit because something pinged, basically, which I've now deleted. But um, the point is that we're working differently immediately and lots of people are working differently immediately and I think the way I see it is that suddenly the nation has had to go freelance in many ways but I know that working from home isn't freelancing they're very different things what's your your sort of probably feelings on that and also how people might be able to cope with if they are suddenly working from home I and mean, when we're learning as we go what do you think for other people as someone who's sort of written, written a book about how to be a freelancer i've spent a lot of time working from home really over the last 12 years mm. and even this is unprecedented because there's mm. that sense of confinement which is very very different but even outside of that i think if i was an employee and i was suddenly working from home for the first time i think i'd probably be feeling really overwhelmed by it and not mm. really sure where to start and i think i would be trying to be really kind to myself and almost see it as like the first day in a new job like you know where you don't know where the tea and coffee is and you don't know where the loos are and you don't know how it works and that kind of thing and you're really finding your feet now obviously if you're working from home you know where the loo is and you know how to do the tea and coffee but actually you don't know how to do the routine on the day-to-day and mm. and so I think there's a sense of giving yourself time to adjust to it and not expecting yourself to be as productive as you would be in the office straight away and and don't beat yourself up about that as an employee you should be doing that and as a manager running a remote team suddenly give your team that grace period to readjust and find their feet it's very different and you know, even if you move offices or move desks, it's still, there's that little period of adjustment. You've got to sort mm-hmm. things out and get things straight. And I, I think people are expecting you, all right, tomorrow you're working from home. Right, okay, laptop open, off we go. And it just can't be quite as seamless as that. And we're not set up to do that. Just manage those expectations and don't put too much pressure on yourself would be a really good starting point. It's seen as quite a physical move to be working from home, but actually there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it. You know, there are some people that really don't work very well from home. They don't work very well if they haven't got a boss every five minutes going have you emailed so and so like nudging them all the time and it's harder to nudge remotely but but equally I don't perform well in an office because Mm. there's so much going on around me and I'm used to working in my own space and choosing when I feel like being distracted rather than when someone's choosing to distract me so in an office I can't do deep work where I really have to concentrate. I can only do reactive work when I sit there. So so actually, it's, it goes both ways. It's mm. about learning to be in that new space. That's so true. I mean, the book is the freelance Bible. And what I love the most about it, I love the title. I love all the content, obviously, as well. But the things, things that really grab me, I love, love the title. And the fact that it's everything you need to go solo in any industry. Because I think a lot of, especially in my world, everyone's media and everyone's journalists. And that, like that's a freelance sort of microcosm almost but freelancing is so many other 
things and there's there's so many things that, that go across much more than being a creative in the freelance industry isn't there was that something you really wanted to do was reach out to everybody who's freelance it, it was a joint decision between myself and penguin who who are the publishers really mm. to say actually there is a much wider audience and that media microcosm is kind of freelancing on steroids quite a lot of the quite <laughs> extreme freelancing there's a lot of it and it's been going on for so long it's very it's a long way down the learning curve so it's a really good place to start from and there's so many different styles of it mm -hmm. from the graphic designer who'll do an hour at a time to a production manager on a tv series who might do nine months and a days and weeks and whatever in between so there's lots and lots of different case studies within that but then when you overlay much broader sectors then you're really seeing all of those different things replicated and what i'm talking about in the freelance bible is i'm assuming that you're really good at what your freelance is i'm assuming you're really good at that what i'm helping you to do is be a better freelancer so it's not about working in your business it's about that wraparound and working on your business mm -hmm. and if you like that's the bit that's common to all sectors that's why i think it's absolutely true that it is open to all sectors in that way and the title a bible i mean it, it covers off so much and there's such a variation of chapters it's really really great in there and it's like but do you find freelancing is like that as well there are a million things to think about it's endless isn't it the amount of things that you have to think about doing from financial to mental health to one of your chapters is valuing yourself and i love that you've done a whole chapter on valuing yourself because people often say know what you're worth but it's always about money but i think valuing yourself is also about understanding how you feel about being sort of a brand in a way i worked really hard on that particular chapter because mm. it's sort of the dance around the handbags you know any workshop that i've been to you know they skirt around it nobody will be nobody's prepared to go do it do this and you'll come up with the answer oh you've got to know what you're worth you've got to do this you know see what other people do but nobody's ever laid out in any way that i've seen that sort of here if i give you a smorgasbord of half a diff dozen different strategies and i lay out how you analyze those mm -hmm. and then you put all of that together and then you look at what you need to have coming in you suddenly start to build a picture of what that value is and you start to understand it and that was really important to find all of those different aspects and pull those together so that people could really start to interrogate their value from all different mm. avenues and find a way through because one bit will work for one person and once they've done one bit they can then pick off the other bits and it might not be written in the right order for that person but it's all there yeah. and it's that's that was i was really trying to do was to really dive into it and i can't tell readers the answer what i try to do is give you all the tools so that you can ask yourself the right questions and so yeah it was really important to really dig deep into the valuing because i i know it's a really uncomfortable place for freelancers and i just yes. wanted to find as many accessible points in as possible to to get the light bulbs going on so that people could go oh that's how i do it it's funny isn't it because you think of you go into this place where you work for yourself so people must have a certain level of self-value in order to and, and perhaps self-confidence to say right i'm going to go for it even if they're nervous it is quite a journey to believing in yourself and your product and even if your product is just you and one one thing like a graphic designer or like a an online etsy crafter to kind of shout about that it doesn't come naturally to everybody does it no no it doesn't and i think I would say about value as well, though, it's important, particularly in the creative sector, that mm. you don't just focus on your price. 
but you focus on the value you deliver to the customer. And that's a key part of it. So we talked about that price valuing, but actually I think most freelancers should really be selling themselves as a luxury service, you know, because actually if you're delivering something that adds value to your customer's business, and that means that their turnover grows or they can get to the next stage in their project that has a value to them Mm. and they should value that. So that comes back to, well, actually it's not about the price. It's about how you explain to the customer what, why you can deliver that thing for them and, and how much value you can add. So, I always try to be that freelancer that solves customers' problems and thinks in a client-focused way. How would you say people could try and find out or envisage what their customer wants? Do you think it's worth asking the customer or is it a case of sort of trying to second-guess them? How can you pinpoint a little bit how someone might do that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I think that's that's the bit that often doesn't come naturally. And I mean, one of the examples I use in the book, which I think is a really strong one, is I, I ran this workshop and I had these two young girls who were wanting to sell their video making services to schools. They were absolutely passionate about it. They come out of a media degree and they they'd focus. They didn't want to go into traditional broadcast or anything. They wanted to sell these video making services to schools. So and they were getting meetings at the schools, but they weren't converting them to sales. And the schools were interested, but you know we don't have a budget line for filmmaking workshops funnily enough traditional state school doesn't have a line in its budget that says we're going to buy filmmaking services and they were really frustrated and i could see that they were frustrated so i said well why why do you think these schools should be buying your services what is it about them why and they said well think about how you make a film you've got to do lots of research which means that the students have got to use their literacy skills to do that research then they've got to present which is confidence and they've got to work as a team because it's a collaborative exercise and all of these different skills that filmmaking makes them do through the back door that the teachers can't get them to do in the lessons but actually they can do because they're enjoying making a film and they want to talk about it and they Mm. want to find out more and they want to write their script so i said so you're not actually in the business of selling filmmaking services to schools. You're in the business of selling enhanced literacy to schools. That's actually in the business that you're in. You're in business of selling enhanced literacy. You do it through your filmmaking services, but that Mm -hmm. schools will buy because they need enhanced literacy. So now if you on, if you look at it through that lens, you then say, okay, let's go on to Ofsted reports on, on the internet and say, okay, well, which of the schools in my area? Okay, I've got that. Okay, who's got a bad school for literacy? Right, let's ring them up. And suddenly you're finding a budget line because they're going, well, actually, we need improved literacy in our schools. Doing that research and understanding why your customers might buy your services. What is it that you're actually delivering? It, you know, you're not peddling a suitcase full of products. You're selling a service <laughs> yeah. that a client values and you understand why that is. And that's some of the journey that I try and take people through in the book is terms of what's that research? Who are your customers? What are they looking for? What's their problem? Why are they trying to buy this? And so how you can position what you do in terms of a solution for that client. Talking of clients and kind of customers, winning your first customer is something else you talk about in the book. And that feels very pertinent. I guess for people generally, but also if they're now looking to widen their client base, they might have lost a client and think, okay, well, I'll scout for for others. Um, What can freelancers do to kind of to maintain and keep clients, in your opinion, especially during the coronavirus? All of these things for me in terms of success come down to some really good research at the start. So Mm -hmm. rather than scattergun 200 emails, letters out, panic, 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 actually think about 
well, what's the sector I'm in? And I guess in my head today, I kind of think there's three different types of ways that sectors and businesses are operating. So you've got hibernation, and that's basically entertainment, leisure, hospitality, film and TV. You're not going to sell to those at the moment. And if you're in that sector, you know you're not going to sell because they've all cancelled you mm-hmm. because there's no work. So then you've got businesses that are trying to be business as usual. And then you've got businesses that are basically busiest. You've got to understand what skills you have. Now, you've got your day-to-day skills that you generally use. And for a lot of people in creative sector and hospitality and things, that might be quite hard because they're going, well, I do like camera operating or I'm a barista in a coffee shop. There's nobody who wants those precise skills. So then you have to look a bit wider and think, well, actually, what else do I do well? Well, probably both of those people are actually really good people people and really good on the face-to-face, working with people, talking to people, because they have to be socialized with their clients, with their customers, and that kind of thing. So actually, they probably have some really good social skills. And actually, there are the NHS, um, logistics, all of those companies are so busy that they are going to need extra people. And there's going to be people going down and isolating. So workforce is going to go up and down and up and down. So how do you start to look more broadly at the skills that you have and the skills that you can offer and find different ways to deploy them. But think about actually at the moment, which are the sectors that you want to focus on? Because even business as usual will be struggling because people will be going off sick. Mm. There'll be distractions. There'll be different ways of working and this kind of stuff. So you've got to take the temperature of where you're at and what's going on and then start to think strategically about what service you can offer and why it comes back to the why again, why somebody would want you. There will be a lot of distress purchasing, if you like, of casual work and freelance work that distress you don't have a choice somebody looks like they might be good enough to do that they sound good you're just so desperate you'll take them so there'll be lots of those kind of opportunities and it's about understanding how you position yourself best to get that and be sensible about how you price yourself because it may be a very different rate to the sort of rate that you're used to Yes, yeah, um, I notice that quite a few people are sort of doing a lot of work. I guess the word is pro bono, isn't it? Kind of people are, I've got a friend who works in the PR industry and she's helping people who might need to communicate with their clients that they're closing or that they're, they're downing tools for a bit. So she's helping them with press releases and stuff. But I think, would you agree that there's a fine line between suddenly downing your own tools and only doing anything for free for people? Because we've got to keep an income coming in as well. We've got to be mindful of it. It's a juggle, isn't it? It's always a juggle anyway. But right now, it's probably more of a, a different juggle as well. Yeah, I think, I think that PR example is really interesting because probably the reason you would do something like that is you've got a long-term customer mm. and you want to support them over the long-term value of that relationship. So at the moment, if everything else has fallen off a cliff and you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs and you've got one client who's in dire straits but you think they're going to come out the other side or you just want to help them, you're going to throw some support at them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where building up long-term relationships with your customers is really important. I've got one client who's been really lovely and said, I know we've had a couple of meetings and the project hasn't got off the ground. Can I pay you now something before everything goes into lockdown just to say thank you for what you've done so far because we don't have a contract, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's really nice. But that's about, she's buying my goodwill for 
coming out the other side and that means she can call on me at other times it goes both ways it's Mm -hmm. it's a very very nice thing and i'm incredibly appreciative but i know that i'll be incredibly loyal to her because of that and equally i'm closing down projects and i'm desperately trying to pay people as quickly as i can because they're freelancers and as soon as the client's paying me i'm sending the money straight out for everybody rather than waiting like two weeks or 30 days because i know that that's really important to people at the moment oh that's so so wonderful of you that's really lovely that's kind of like that's going to save a lot of people's sanity that's amazing you have to read every situation and you can't treat all clients the same i think at the moment i would think very carefully and i would be looking at the sector that the client was in Mm. and really what i thought their cash flow prognosis is you know it's so easy to get paid quickly paypal is brilliant you know you can ask for paypal now that i've got a book i've got a little card machine so if i when i go and do workshops well when i was doing workshops before before the crisis i could then sell a book there and then people didn't need to have cash and i know that lots of fellow freelancers have that just so clients can pay them more easily that's genius and then we could all have little card machines and feel like shops they're really good fun (laughs) i had i had a book launch party for friends and colleagues and people locally to me in birmingham and i and i roped in my child labor and i gave one of them the ipad and one of them the card machine and they were very good salespeople, and they thought this was great fun something you touched upon which is um something i'd like to quickly ask you before before we finish up is about pacing yourself you were sort of saying you know not to panic 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 and I know I personally do that all the time. I know lots of people that panic, they either panic pitch or they send out loads of applications for short-term contracts and think, actually, I don't even know what that job really was. And, and you talk in the book about pacing yourself and finding balance. Would you have any advice for people on pacing themselves, especially at the moment when it feels like we should literally just be like throwing our CV at anyone we can find? My reaction is I wouldn't be trying to throw my CV at anyone I can mm. find at the moment because everyone's in a tailspin. No, mm. Nobody knows what's going on. And I think it's really... There's long-term and short-term. There's short-term planning in terms of what can I do now to keep the cash coming in? What can Mm -hmm. I do now? And that's when you start to think about your broader skill set, how much flex you've got in your cash flow. Can you batten down the hatches a bit? What can you, you know, you've got that kind of practical short-term kind of thinking. But the more focused you are and the more you can understand why you can add value to somebody on the ground and what value you can realise from that, actually the easier it is because you possibly only need to identify half a dozen or so people it's not 200 because you're so focused you'll stand out and they'll they'll get it and you'll just be it'll just be a no-brainer and and actually at the moment nobody's got time to sift through a load of applications so recommendations and word of mouth are going to count for an awful lot almost more than they do in the normal world of freelancing Mm. because there isn't that buffer of time to really think things through. And if you're that busy, it'll just be, well, that person sounds good. If someone rings me up and I say, well, I think this person would be good, they're just probably going to have a quick chat and take my word for it if they've asked me. And, and so I think you'll see a lot of that. So it's building those networks and working out where those connections are, but being clear about what you can offer. But yeah. then in terms of that longer term, if particularly if your sector's in kind of a hibernation, then it's really a time to recalibrate and really think, well, actually, what working on that business and where do you want to get to? Mm. Are you happy with where you've been? You know, perhaps you've been just working on things for other people and you want to create your own ip it's a great time 
actually to start to follow your own pet projects bizarrely because things will be quieter so it's really calibrating that and then sensing when is the time to start to talk to people and i think just cutting the slack with people because if it's an existing client and they've gone quiet you're probably just not a priority at the moment tickle them a bit but don't harass them and panic you'll know when you're in the firing line and they need your services because yeah. they'll be in touch so much of my book comes down to dating and it's that sort of <laughs> i love this analogy i mean the five day rule blah, blah, blah. you know it's all of that and it's it's actually that they're just off doing something else and you're not the business priority at the moment because business priorities have changed it's just trying to manage that you know waiting for that call waiting for that email and are you a fan of having a very set time i guess for people who are freelancers who might need a nudge on it and then people who are working from home who are suddenly thinking how do i do this because it can be so easy to work seven days a week on it you know you just do a little bit here and a little bit there or you know you're not commuting anymore so you end up working nine till six not nine till five any final tips for people who might be in that situation and they're like how do i just do you literally just go i'm closing my computer now i think you have to work out what sort of structure you work best Ooh, in. yeah because i'm an absolute bugger for getting up at half five in the morning and doing a couple of hours work mm-hmm. and then taking the kids to school and disappearing for a couple of hours to do some errands or go for a walk or something so my day is a bit like that anyway so I, I pick and choose how and what I do. So I think if you're used to that structure, finding a way to replicate it, but in a different way, because talking to a friend who's now working from home, but she had a sort of 45 minute or an hour commute. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I'm really struggling to like start work at the right time because either she's got up so early that she's tried to do a million things and then she's sort of late. <laughs> or then she thinks, oh, I don't actually have to get up early because I don't have my commute. And then it's like crawling out of bed five minutes before she's supposed to start work. In my head, I sort of build the commute time into like, what does your working day look like? If you're leaving the house at seven and getting back at seven, mm. but actually you're working nine till five because you do other things and you do some school runs, you do some errands, like actually your time out of the house is seven till seven. So you kind of on from that moment you walk out the door. Mm. So maybe you start then, but actually all the errands that you might do at the start and the end of the day actually do peppered across the middle of the day as nice little breaks. So your day is kind of similar. We've all got pinch points in our lives. You know, it's either the laundry or the cooking or the cleaning or whatever else that happen at that sort of Saturday morning or Sunday morning or in an evening. But actually if you're at home, you can intersperse those in ways that you want to. Finding a rhythm that works for you. And I think that's the hard bit. And that's the piece that we talked about at the beginning about giving yourself a break and treating it almost like a new job and finding a new way of working. Because there's so many people have not had that clash of cultures between home and work. And I live a very blended existence already. So it's it's very normal. And then you add the kids into the mix as well. And it's like, it's going to be mayhem. Yeah, I love that phrase, a blended existence. Like the freelance existence is blended. There isn't, because I do often find myself doing a bit on a Saturday or a Sunday. And I don't mind so much because like you just said, I, I probably think, well, often on a Friday, I stop at about three. Well, yeah, it probably means on a Sunday, I've got a couple of hours to do a bit of this and that. But it's nicer to do two hours than a whole working day sort of thing. But I guess people might find themselves slipping into that and they should be kind to themselves and not, yeah, like you say, not, not have it all figured out in week one. 
this is going to be a learning process for people about how they work best and how their boss works best and how their colleagues work best all of that really yeah absolutely and yeah. and just I think we all just really need to support each other and be kind to each other and not jump to two and two makes five and you've done this all wrong, but just take a step back, take a deep breath before you, you judge anyone for things at the moment, because the chances are that everyone is really trying to keep on track. All of our brains are a bit scrambled and a bit, a bit elsewhere and there's high levels of anxiety this a day by day thing isn't it as well like you say because if something did something might seem very important today like someone might say to you yes let's do some business but then tomorrow their partner or their business partner or someone else in their office becomes ill and, and suddenly their their work shifts or their money shifts or it's like a spider's web of connection isn't it in terms of work that you've got to remember that's such good advice Tony. yeah just just be kind kind to yourself yeah. as well as everyone yeah. else yeah. yeah don't assume you're not valued and you're not worth it because you're not getting those calls back that you would usually get this is yeah. unprecedented times business priorities are shifting around and everyone's in survival mode thank you so much for your honesty and the examples you've given which i love a practical example so and i love the dating analogy so that that really <laughs> works well for me um would you like to tell people where they can find you on social online and how they can buy the book if they'd like to order it because if they're at home and they need something to do they yeah. could read the freelance bible how can they find you in your book okay so um well one thing i'm really excited about is i am available as an audiobook which i was really yes. honored to get the chance to read myself which was scary and yeah so you get five and a half hours of me if you download me so I, it's on audible it's on amazon and all good bookshops and other online audio book places my website is alisongrade.com i'm on twitter at alisongrade and freelance bible on facebook and on instagram well thank you so much i wish you well I wish that you stay healthy you. and that your business prospers. And thank you for sharing your insight with everybody for Freelance Feels. Thank you for listening to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to rate and review it. I would be super grateful. If you'd like to find out more about Freelance Feels, it's at freelance underscore feels on Twitter and Instagram, freelancefeels.com online, and there's now a Freelance Feels newsletter at freelancefeels.substack.com. See you again soon.